Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour. Coming to you from Old East Dallas, as always, I'm your host, Jason Rutledge. So, just like we did back in Series 2 with Manhunter, in this episode we're going to take a look back at the beginning of a massive movie franchise. The movie is The Thin Man. Now, maybe you're not familiar with this movie, maybe you haven't seen it, and if that's the case, I want you to pause this right here and go watch it immediately. I promise you it's well worth your time. Uh, Nathan and Katie are back to dive into the deep end of the movie detective pool. But first, is everybody comfortable? You got your snacks ready to go? Anyone need something to drink? What's the gag? You know as much about it as I do. Have a cocktail. No, I don't care for any. I said have a cocktail. I guess he wants us to have a cocktail. talk about that uh buddy hackett's son is in both hot dog the movie and hamburger the motion picture huh how about that jason's that's, face that's it's typecasting well, you know i mean hot dog the movie isn't about you know eating hot dogs, hot dogs but well and some no, there's a hot dog that's a sequence, ski movie but beside that if i remember it yes a ski movie called hamburger the movie no that's the other movie oh. hot dog is the ski movie Still doesn't make sense. Like hot dogging, like skiing, the style. No, I, I've never been skiing. Well, I haven't either, but you know, I've watched plenty of sex comedies to inform me of these things. <laughs> Philo Vance? Who, what is Philo Vance? What is this name? It sounds familiar. I can't quite place it, though. Philo Vance? Yeah. Did I reference the wrong William Powell detective series? May have. We'll talk about a little bit about that later. I'll delve into it. Please do. He also did four detective films prior to the Thin Man films. And that huh. was his character, Philo Vance. Ah. <sighs> Kennel Murder Case, hey. which also features Asta, the dog. And he, that was the last Philo Vance movie he did. I was unaware they'd worked together previously. Yes. As did he and Myrna Loy. But, um... Yeah, also, if you watch the trailer for The Thin Man, he plays his character Philo Vance and the character of Nick Charles. And he's on, he's within a book, the Dashiell Hammett book is on display, and it's right. a split screen, and he's playing, he walks out of the book to talk to Philo Vance. So it's kind of a passing of the torch a little bit. That's confusing. Yeah, but back then it wouldn't have been. Like, he had just done the last, uh, not the last Philo Vance film, but the last one he did was the year prior, mm -hmm. which was like in October, I think it released. What studio put those out, the Philo Vance movies? Was that also MGM? MGM did some later on, but the ones that Powell did were primarily Paramount, and then the Kennel Murder mm. Case was actually Warner Brothers. It's weird. Like, there's so many actors that played that character, and different studios had hands mm -hmm. in it. So it was like literally optioning books and then adapting them. Well, there is a reason I'm asking about which studio did it because what occurred in 1934 was that MGM felt like they had a problem on their hands. They just spent a gob of money to get the movie rights to the latest Dashiell Hammett novel. They weren't really sure what they were going to do with it. Uh, the director they brought on board had confidence in the project, and he put together a cast he was really enthusiastic about, but the studio brass felt like the project was doomed. Uh, 
they felt like the leading man was too old. The leading lady was more known for playing exotics, and it just didn't seem like it was coming together. But they scrounged up a little money, scheduled out a two-week shoot, and then sent the director, W.S. Van Dyke, on his way, thinking at the very least he can deliver the movie on time and on budget, and they can get it over with. Little did they anticipate they were launching a juggernaut that would make its money back seven times over, spawn five sequels, and give us one of the most iconic movie duos probably outside of Batman and Robin, Nick and Nora Charles. Enter The Thin Man. Welcome everyone to the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour. We are indeed talking about the 1934 comedy mystery The Thin Man. And the reason I was asking about the studio is because it couldn't have been through MGM because they didn't think Powell was a young enough guy anymore to play detectives. Louis B. Mayer was very much against it. And he was against Myrna Lloyd being cast in this too. Yeah. But Van Dyke petitioned for both of them because mm-hmm. he had just directed them in Manhattan Melodrama. And they had non-comical roles, but he observed their chemistry in between takes and how they got along. And he thought, you know, that's who I want in this. And he fought for them. And it works. It really does. I don't think Myrna Loy had done a comedy before this, had they? Really? Well, no, she was not known for comedic roles at all. Mostly serious stuff, yeah. No, they definitely, like, having never seen them in anything before... They Mm -hmm. definitely have very good chemistry together. The story I'd always heard was that Van Dyke was at a party with Myrna Loy and he pushed her into a swimming pool to see how she'd react. And based on her reaction, he thought, she can do comedy. I want her in this movie. I don't know if I believe that or not. That's that's the usual story that goes around about how he picked her for this. You know, it's probably one of those things that got made up later. There's maybe a little bit of truth to it. Probably not. I don't know. It's like the old-timey version of Michael Bay making Megan Fox wash his cars. Did we really go there? Did we really go to that reference? I went there. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the final episode of Smith Note. Yes, Michael Bay is going to come cancel our podcast. Welcome to the death knell. That's entirely possible. I mean, they had these crazy Hollywood parties back then. Who knows? Mm -hmm. I want to say that they... They spent a bunch of money just to get the rights. That wasn't a joke. They had given Dashiell Hammett $20,000, which translates to about $410,000 in 2021. So he, he made some bank off of this stuff. This one in the Maltese Falcon and the Glass Key, all three. He, could, he basically retired from writing after that. This was his last novel. He did some consulting. He did yeah. a little bit of script work here and there, but he never wrote another novel again. I don't think he, I don't think he even wrote any more short stories after that. No, I mean, he wrote the story for the first sequel after The Thin Man. After The Thin Man, And then was like, yeah, a consultant, pretty much. And that's the thing, is that book was released like in January. When did this movie come out that year? It was like five months later? Uh, Oh, this was a May 25th release. Yeah. wow. They turned it around fast. Like I said, they only shot for maybe 12 days. Somewhere between 12 and 18, depending on who you ask, but it was a really tight schedule. Well, I mean, he was known for one takes, so... Mm -hmm. The budget was only about a quarter million, which is huge, really, but, you know, it's not as much as they spent on the sequels, certainly. I think by the time they got to the last movie in the series, they were spending a million six, million five, million six on each one of these things. how many are there total? There's six of them. I didn't know it was a series, like... 
I had it wasn't never heard intended of it until... that way, but no. it made so much damn money. They really felt like they had no other option to make more of them, even though they had no source material at that point. Because like I said, there were no other Thin Man stories. None. I think um, after the Thin Man might have been based partially on one of Hammett's old shorts that he published in, uh, what was the name of the magazine? Uh, the Black Page, something like that. I know that uh, Another Thin Man was based on uh, The Farewell Murder, which is one of his short stories. I think they may have taken bits and pieces out of them yeah. to make the rest. Why did they go with The Thin Man? Like, why is that the title? Because it's Other the... the man. No, it's not Powell, though. It's the, it's the guy that he's investigating. Why not? Is missing or murdered. So as a franchise, it's confusing to utilize that same title aside from like after the thin man, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But like when you have like movies down the road, they're like the thin man comes home. Audiences would confuse him. William mm -hmm. Powell. Nick character as being the thin man. That's what I would have assumed. It's kind of like the yeah. Frankenstein versus Frankenstein's monster sort of a mix up. Is it? No, 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 that's not. That's a good, yeah. One's supposed to work one. that yeah. way, but then you're kind yeah. of stuck with it because you don't want to change the title, obviously, and people might not go see it because they might not know what they're... It's, it's one of those things. Right. So it was very much an unplanned franchise. They did not have intention going in to make a bunch of movies. So um, I'm assuming these stories were popular, thus why they were adapted. So would this be equivalent to now, like when a, a blockbuster like becomes a sleeper hit and before it's even out of theaters, they have the sequel already um, optioned and it's going to move forward because it made all that money. This is kind of a similar situation to that where with its mm -hmm. popularity, they were like, we might as well continue it. Sure. So. They cranked out thin movies regularly. Yeah. They, they cranked one of these out every two to three years up, up and through 1947. I really think if the last movie hadn't been oh, wow. the only one to lose money, they may have kept going with it. Until everybody dropped dead, probably. I wonder if we'll ever see, like, future adaptations of it. Well, there was a there TV was. series in the late 50s with Peter Lawford and Phyllis Kirk. And mm -hmm. they're serviceable enough, but the chemistry is like, do you like the characters or do you like the actors that inhabited the characters? Right. For me, it's more the the actors, their chemistry. Is... Yeah, I I get that. I could definitely see myself watching the five other, if they're if the two of them who play Nick and Nora are in the others, I could see me watching them just based solely on their chemistry and performance alone. Right. Yeah, it's not as it's not as transferable as like a Sherlock Holmes character right. mystery kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, Michael Sarah and Kat Dennings. Yeah, I, I didn't even pick up on the fact that their names were Nick and Nora, and then I thought of that movie. Yep. <laughs> that one just goes off the rails. There's really no mystery in no, that No, not one. at all. No. There's a playlist, though. There, and I yes. heard it's infinite. <laughs> yes, it's There was going. like yeah. a, when they're a 2012, I want to say a TV movie, maybe called Return of the Thin Man, that was kind of cobbled together. Out of bits and pieces of old short stories and something like that. Oh, it might, I don't know. Maybe there may be a good reason why I don't. There remember might be it quite all. a few TV adaptations <laughs> that I'm unaware of. Oh, probably, I wouldn't be shocked if this was like a straight to TBS TNT television yeah. movie scenario. Uh -huh. Yeah, especially like in the '90s, there was a very retroactive sense in bringing back 
a lot of that stuff from the 30s and 40s on television. And like this one can be done because I always think about and I'm not saying these are similar, but I know I, th- I get the impression they were mysteries. My um my grandmother used to watch the are they what I've got to think of what they're called something Chan, and there were like oh, the Charlie million. Chan movies. Yeah, yeah. and it yeah. seems like yeah, and there were tons of those. And Far it's more like, than we should. I feel have like if yeah. ones were gonna like because I don't know, I'm not familiar with what Charlie Chan is about. But they're I feel about seventy like, minutes apiece. But yeah. I feel like if they were made now. Weren't they kind of problematic for back in the day? Charlie Chan today is well, a radioactive you... property. No one is touching that. There's no way. Well, right. do, do you get what I'm saying, though? Yeah. Like... yeah. Well, back then, I mean, it was Warner Oland playing Chinese. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like at least with the Thin Man series, it could be made now and not be problematic is sure. what I was getting at. Yeah. Like, unless they were to remake the Charlie Chan stuff now and cast appropriately, like, it doesn't have that looming dread of possible problematic... I'm not focusing on Charlie Chan. I'm just saying, like, it is a property that could be made and not made necessarily in a problematic way. So I could see its continuation, possibly. Hmm. There are iterations of Chan that are more spot on down the road, you know. And of course, the amazing Chan clan. Oh. Well, Hanna Barbera shout out. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was like uh, one of the most popular genres at the time was the murder mystery. Oh, yeah. And, and I think we're getting that back, especially with the success of Knives Out. Because mm. we're getting a sequel to that, right? Almost. I feel like, had it not been for the pandemic, probably would have been a lot quicker after the release of the first one. And I'm sure if uh, I almost said Ryan Reynolds, um, oh my God, I can't think of his name. Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson. Yeah. wanted yeah. to continue that for forever. People would not complain about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you could even say that that leads into the Bond franchise later on. You know, being a viable. I mean, detective stories in a way became secret agent stories you know mm-hmm. in the 60s mm-hmm. so it's like another version of that dashiell hammond himself wrote a yeah i think I mean, he was immensely he popular and it didn't matter what he wrote i mean people wanted to option it and mm-hmm. make it into something him and then raymond chandler after him yeah i i don't know about what do you uh feel this is a first time watch for you katie isn't it Mm-hmm. Yep. How did how did you feel about it? Did you enjoy it? Like, in what in what basis did you enjoy it the most? Is it like a mystery film or a comedy or 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 what? I feel like the comedy in it isn't like I'm sure back then it was considered a comedy, but like to me, just because it has comedic elements in it doesn't necessarily make it a comedy. Well, I mean, I Hammett's like interpretation not- wouldn't have been comedic anyway. Okay, then, then I, because I wouldn't have Not considered, necessarily. Like, I love their dynamic and I love their banter and they're like playing back and forth, but this is definitely above and beyond a murder mystery, which I, I loved it. Um, it was interesting though, like to hear, like, was it viewed audience wise as a comedy back then? It was on the poster. Because like. I think. But that's well, but also what you were saying earlier, neither of them were known comedically. 
in terms of right. so like people weren't that wasn't the draw at least i think it was the hammett influence was the draw mm-hmm. and then as a side note it was a comedy i definitely liked it i feel like um it's it's extremely engrossing because up until the dinner party at the end you're just consistently going is it this person is it that person <laughs> is it like it definitely I enjoyed it. Like, and I probably will seek out the other ones now because I enjoyed this one as much as I did. The sequels, I have to tell you, it's a diminishing return as you keep going with it. I mean, the third one wasn't even in 3D like it should have been. I don't know what happened there when they introduced the kid. It was was prior to the invention of 3D, probably. Was that it? It was 1939. It might have been. It might have been. Why? That's 41. I know, because you said the same complaint about Son of Frankenstein, you know, same year. <laughs> that is the one where they introduced Nicky Jr., who's later played by Dean Stockwell yep. in the final Thin Man movie. Yeah. The final one has a crazy cast. It's got Keenan Wynn, Gloria yeah. Graham. They're, they're all fun. Is there a box set? Yes, there's a DVD box set. Mm. That's... Uh, they're not, I don't think maybe the first one's on Blu-ray. I don't know if the other ones are. I don't think it is. I've never seen like it on one Blu-ray. archive. I'd probably get the box out of it. Yeah, it's uh, is fun going through them all. And I think watching them again, I didn't watch all six of them again. I watched the first three, which to me is like the trilogy because it's the same husband and wife team mm-hmm. writing the scripts each time. And then they After left. After the third one, yeah. The Van Dyke only died. directed one more committed suicide yeah the original writing team was not involved anymore it just kind of feels like the last two were sort of struggling to let's just do this and i don't think myrna Loy wanted Mm -hmm. to do them anymore at that point really but you know she had such a good time working with everybody that she kept coming back um she was like very heavily involved in supporting uh, the troops in World War II and going overseas and doing shows and stuff like that. Yeah, so like, on the, the only films she really did during that time were the Thin Man movies. So in a way, that's kind I'm of sure a testament. Was, yeah, but I'm sure, well, would there have also been like a contractual obligation? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Because with each one, they probably signed them on multiple times. And she was mm-hmm. still probably a contract player at MGM at that point still. So they kind of routed what you did. In the sense of, you could choose projects, but here's the ones that are available. I found interesting about this movie is so many other people in the cast were themselves also into other franchises, particularly uh, Marino Sullivan, who plays Dorothy Winant in this movie, was making a gob of Tarzan movies at the same time. Was she in Tarzan the Ape Man? Tarzan the Ape Man, Tarzan and His Mate, Tarzan Escapes. She was Jane in a whole bunch of these Tarzan movies, yeah. including Tarzan's New York Adventure. Van Dyke directed that one. That may be why. You had uh, Porter Hall, plays Macaulay, did a bunch of Bulldog Drummond movies. Um, and of course, Cesar Romero, Chris Jorgensen, better known for a project he did much later on, Batman. You know, he thought I was going to say Computer War Tennis Shoes just then, didn't you? But I could have. Oh, there you go. There you go. He reminds me of uh, young Christopher Lee in this. Like, he looks a lot like Christopher Lee. I can definitely doesn't get that. a lot of lines, but he does. Yeah, he he has a presence in this movie for sure. When you first get that first shot of him, when he's like 
back to the camera sitting in that chair you just kind of see someone's arm there on the chair and when he gets up you're like oh crap who's this guy yeah and how about a shout out to the amazing william being. henry as gilbert i loved that character that character <laughs> it gave me major herbert west vibes not gonna lie <laughs> like the way that yeah. jeffrey combs played herbert west like mm-hmm. i wouldn't be surprised if that guy did stage acting because he was very um definitely more boisterous with his role than maybe the others but i liked his character well i liked his character as much as you are supposed to like his character yeah it does seem kind of shoddy oh gosh just the whole but only one in only one in four of your children will turn out to be murderers so you just stop having children after the third one and you should be fine (laughs) that's good stuff yeah my personal favorite scene is the party scene the, the christmas party scene toward the beginning when people just keep coming up to the apartment to the point where she has to say, Oh, don't, don't bother calling. Just send them up. They're all his friends. Cause I, I I've been like to several parties. parties like it. I so, like yeah. just, just anytime the two of them were on the screen, it was good. Yeah. Like they really, I like the scene where the guy comes in to be like, Oh, I didn't kill her. And like, he punches her in the face to get her out of the way of the yeah. shot. <laughs> And then she's like, well, I wanted to see you do it. Like, I really like their dynamic. I, I can't stress that enough. I feel like had it been anyone else or it just, you could tell their connection. Like, it definitely helped the film a lot. Well, I say that. It's a, it's a good film. Like, I just, and I love the concept of, I don't know if it would have been as good with other people, but we'll never right. know because that's not how. Hmm. Well, that's why I think you'll you'll enjoy the sequels because it's it's more of their world moving forward. You know, we give it. To, well, you mentioned the. Uh, I, I prefer the first sequel, but go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no. Like I said, the sequels kind of start and then slowly kind of march their way down a little bit. It doesn't seem they don't seem to have the crackle that this first one did. I don't know if they were, just couldn't recapture it or they did their best. I mean, they're not unwatchable movies by any stretch of the imagination may have just gone to the well one too many times by the time they got to the end unless you didn't watch then they are unwatchable but that happens with sequels anyway Hmm. like any of your major uh, franchises that have multiple installments in them at some point you're going to be like wow this didn't have what the original had or even Hmm. the first couple they always get through that point where it's like okay they're clearly just making these for the money that they're going to bring in yeah the one too many syndrome is prevalent in many franchises. Very few pull it Especially off. Nowadays. Very few. I mean, yeah. Bond has kept going forever. Um, they're still making Fast and Furious movies. I think Bond succeeds in some ways, though, because they change it up. Like with bringing in the different actors for Bond and things like that. I feel like that's what helps that along. Yeah. But essentially, it's the same template that they follow. Yeah, cookie cutters. World domination, bad guy. I mean, that's also the the MCU. That's yeah, and it's 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 the formula. Yeah, Mm -hmm. which is the same way with the Thin Man. I mean, it's like you know, you're gonna have the same red herring scenarios, and you're gonna have you know, that's always there's always gonna be a murder mystery that they're at the center of. Not unlike the Charlie Chan films or anything of that era 
the Sherlock Holmes, Basil Rathbone films, which they did what twelve of those. I mean, talk about running it. Just but with they're Basil all, they're Rathbone, all fun, yeah. you know, if you enjoy yeah. them. Yeah. Well, and sometimes with those types of films, you know what you're getting. They're like yeah. popcorn movies. You just mm-hmm. turn them on, shut your brain yep. off, and you know you're going to at least have a good time. It's not going to be one of those where maybe you sit down for like two weeks and you keep thinking about it and you can't get it out of your head. It's like, you know, it's not necessarily that, but sometimes you just want to sit down and go, okay, it was a long week. Let's just yep. have fun. You know, it's a, it's yeah, a good, hanging out tight with old friends. N- mm-hmm. it's a good tight 90. It's not like Netflix tried to do The Thin Man and make it into a 10 hour long series of the first movie or something like that. Come on. You know, they would not suck. <laughs> they were, they just like, Oh my God. Yeah. It'd be like every episode would be devoted to a potential murderer, you know, mm-hmm. and then you got to piece it together at the end and some dinner table sequence. I do love the that, dinner the, table sequence. That was, that was great. Oh yeah. The part where he's like talking about how even fooled old Gil and Gil's down at the end of the table. Like you can skip that part. Love that. Everything with Gilbert <laughs> was great. I like the part where she's like, is that true? And he's like, I honestly have no idea. Like, Yeah, I love that, that he's not entirely sure going into that. Mm-hmm. He's going to come to the conclusion has, by the end of the dinner. Yeah. And he has that confidence to, like, at least go along with it, even if it isn't necessarily true, because it may get him to the truth. Right. There's a I also lot like of good quotable lines. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're not watching... Um, him come into his own. Like, I already like that he's already retired at this point and he somehow gets roped into helping out with this. Yeah. And that's the way I feel about the sequels is even though they're pre-established characters, they're even more so when you get into the first sequel, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't take like the murder mystery at the beginning to get to meeting them. And it picks up right where the first one leaves off. So it's that's cool. It's kind of fun. Doesn't the uh, Jimmy Stewart is in that first sequel? Um, is the dog in all of the them? The dog, yes. Yeah, Jimmy Stewart is. Yes, the dog is in all of them. Although the 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 dog only did five out of the six. Okay. And then, you know, there's Asta Junior as Asta. Aww. Also in the TV series, the credits are like. Asta as Asta. Well, I don't know what which dog that is, but it was kind of like the Benji syndrome at a certain point where it's always I Benji, like but it's a different dog. I like that name, yeah. the Benji syndrome. I love that. <laughs> well, the the first Benji film, that dog died like right after they did it. It's kind of like Air Bud, you know? Yeah. And so the Benji that we know and love is pretty much for the love of Benji through Benji the Hunted. It's like 11 years. And then... That was it. And it was a female dog, by the way. What, a Benji or Asta or both? Benji. Okay. I don't know about Asta. Although in in uh, After the Thin Man, we get to meet Mrs. Asta. And they, they, have a, they have a litter. So he really becomes more of a character in the sequels. I mean, he it's, was a character in this one. Yeah, like the part where he's like, my attack dog will attack you, and then he runs and hides. Like, Yeah. There's a poster for the the last movie, A Song of the Thin Man, Katie, where Asta is the largest thing on the poster. It's like this giant picture of Asta talking about how I mean, he's like in this dogs. movie with these other people called Myrnaloy and that pal guy. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't know it based on the poster. When you pull up the IMDb page for um, The Thin Man, one of the first pictures is him 
and I get the impression he's like an award-winning dog, which I find hilarious <laughs> because I feel like Nobel Prize actually. Let's see, he mm. won a Nobel Prize. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what I saw. Well, also when you market the film, you're looking at the family dynamic, especially years later in the sequels. So that may have been a gimmick for you know attracting oh, especially children. Especially back then. Yeah. Yeah, he's an award-winning movie dog, along with uh, Toto and, oh, Benji. Benji's the other award-winning dog. That makes no, sense. No love for Rin Tin Tin? Or Wonton Tom, the dog who saved Hollywood? Do you think the dog from White Dog is in it? Ooh. I don't know about that one. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the massive variety of accents that are used in this thing. I mean, William Powell is still rocking what we call the mid-Atlantic accent. That had been used in movies for decades. I love all the gangsters have a very specific New York accent to them that you automatically you identify them immediately as who they are. Either the cops have it a little bit, but mostly the gangster types in the movie all speak exactly the same way and throw frying pans. Yeah, and I like that Loy and Powell are kind of just in the middle. They you could peg them as aristocratic society. But they're they don't take themselves seriously enough, you know what I mean? Like especially in the party sequences and all that. That's where a lot of the fun is. That they're they're uh -huh. just you know themselves. They don't pretend to be anything else, even though they totally could if they wanted to, you know. Particularly her. I think the scene where um the guy is apologizing for the fact that the dinner party isn't going to go well because I'm assuming it was meant to be the cops undercover as like the wait staff and that scene just made me laugh and i think that kind of goes to with what you were saying about the accents and all mm -hmm. because instead of being like oh would you like a drink the one guy's like you're gonna drink this drink and it's like yes, okay yes. <laughs> calm down <laughs> how's this yes monsieur this is terrible terrible <laughs> And, and they always do that that yes. very like 30s, 40s gangster thing of appealing first to your hearing mm -hmm. and then your sight, where they'll say, now listen, see, I had nothing to do with it. That kind of thing. Every single time. <laughs> but it's good stuff. It works. Yeah. And this actually, it feels like a Warner Brothers gangster picture in some sense. Yeah. It doesn't it does. feel like I, an MGM movie. No, I would not have pegged this as an MGM movie at all. What kind of what other kind of stuff were they even doing in '34? They were still heavy on musicals, I thought. I, I yeah, they didn't did really know they were musical? into murder mysteries or anything. Well, like there that. are musical numbers in the sequels, and then it feels more like you. I don't believe you. Are you serious? What? There's they're musical not, like, numbers. It's not in like a sequel? it's not them performing it. I'm just saying oh, they go to like okay. a nightclub and there's an act that performs and it's like a three minute thing. Oh, okay. You know, so it's like that's their little shoehorn of. We got to appease yeah. our musical audience by putting in a musical number. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, that would be ridiculous if they started outright solving <laughs> the mystery the song. in song. I don't know. I would like that. <laughs> I mean, that might turn her off to watching Song of the Thin Man, but no, it's not a musical. Oh, dang. <laughs> Are there any other franchises where they kept the title that didn't really have anything like with this with the thin man where the original is that because that's the case he's solving but they kept it oh I, somehow I interlaced throughout it so people knew are there Ooh. any other sequel i mean franchises where it was something similar where you think like they kept 
something in the title to let you know it's part of it, even though that's not what it's about. Oh, there's got to be. I can't think sense. of one right now. No, I know what you're saying. It's uh, Blair Witch 2. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like one of the five people that actually like that movie. I don't even remember if I liked mm. it or not. That's how good it was, I guess. I don't know. I remember seeing it in the theater. I don't remember anything about it. I think it was in color, and that's about it. That's about all I remember. Yeah. But no, I know what you mean, Kate. I can't think can't think of anything right off. Um, wasn't the Andy Hardy movies? <laughs> that would be weird if Andy Hardy was no longer a part of the franchise. Well, this is just Mickey I, Rooney playing through, another character. I was looking through the Van Dyke's other credits, which were Tarzan the Ape Man. There's one I got to see called Devil Is a Sissy, but he also directed uh, Andy oh. Hardy Get Spring Fever and Ants. He gets Spring Fever and Ants, or are those yes. two separate films? <laughs> yes, that's the full I think title. <laughs> I think there is a movie called Andy Hardy Gets Ants in His Pants. Because there's a whole picnic number. sequence that goes awry. Yeah. Also, uh, uh, Mina Gomble, who played Mimi, Mimi Winant Jorgensen in this movie, was in two movies that I've never, never seen, but I have to see now just based on the title. Uh, Women Must Dress and Mex- Mexican Spitfire Sees a Ghost. I have to know what that's about. I can't find it streaming anywhere, but I will find those movies. What the hell is that? Gotta know. Gotta know. Have they ever been released on video? I don't know. Everything's been released on video at some point by now, right? No. Sadly, no. There's still some classics out there. They're just hanging in limbo. Yeah, this would be a good uh, total box set on Blu-ray. I don't know that. This is Warner Archive doesn't really do box sets. They just do like, they'll do collections, mm-hmm. you know, like three disc sets and four disc sets, but like, like an actual box set. I don't know if they've ever. I don't know what's do holding that. it back, really. I mean, there's, there's still an audience for this somewhere, right? Oh, definitely. I think murder mysteries are still as popular as they've ever been because there's so much you can do with it. It's mm-hmm. not like it has to be, it's yes. Like when you get these franchises, they're very cookie cutter, but the premise of a murder mystery, you can do anything with that. More flexible than relevant. Yeah. It's more flexible than Westerns. I would think, I mean, Westerns had their heyday and then went away for a while. Sci-fi did the same thing for a brief period. Mm -hmm. You forget that between like, say after 1967 or so, nobody wanted to make a sci-fi movie until star Wars. It was just a, it was a dead genre pretty much until then. We'll see this, the same thing will happen with superhero so movies more than likely too. Well, it's interesting because I think some of your superhero stuff can now fall into maybe even the science, uh, science fiction genre and things yeah, like fantasy. that. Fantasy. It's just, mm-hmm. if you put that big umbrella over it, it's all relevant really. Well, yeah. But like the, the murder mysteries is like crime never goes away whether it's an action film or a mystery or a thriller those seem to be the most consistent next to comedy the old pinker the old pinkerton man comes back wasn't he was a pinkerton he was a pinkerton man yeah or no was he he was yeah actually looked that one up this morning yeah he he was a pinkerton man before he started writing i think he took a lot of his stories from his experience his his writing style basically so when pinkerton was more of a detective private detective based agency and not just into union busting which they 
kind of turned into later right. on. There is still a Pinkerton agency around today. They're mostly involved in uh, private security and not detective work anymore, but huh. the yeah. Pinkerton agency is still around. I feel like most of my favorite films were before I was born. I was a little concerned you would not like this movie at all because it is a very... It's not exactly a dated comedy in the way we think of like a lot of 80s comedies haven't aged well. Like, is there still... I didn't find anything in a this. A connection there. Is there, is there still a way to connect to that kind of comedy? I didn't find anything in this that could have been considered like problematic or or even like... Because I try to watch things in the state of mind of, okay, this came out mm -hmm. at this time. So I mean, clearly, the... like, maybe some of the things with the treatment... No, like, I didn't find anything mm -hmm. about this. Because I was going to say maybe the treatment of some of the women characters. But they're not even, like... Like, there's a bit where they're bantering, Nick and Nora, mm -hmm. and, like, he raises his hand at her. But it's, like, clearly that's their... They're playing around. Like, yeah. there's... I didn't find anything about this to be like distasteful or uh, wow, this is clearly something that was released in 34. I didn't know. Well, there are, there are a couple yeah. of jokes that send you to Wikipedia. Like when he says, have you heard of the Sullivan act? And she says, no, that's okay. We're married. I was like, okay, I have to look up. The that's Sullivan a great line. Says, I love that line. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can still laugh at it and think, okay, I probably should know what that is, but I don't have to go look it up. There's a couple of things like that, but overall it's, it's aged very, very well. It's not such a product of its time that you can't relate to it anymore or relate to the humor in it anymore. But I, I kind of don't agree with that. Don't agree with which part, Nathan? Oh, just the, the fact that people just, you know, presume that it doesn't age well. Like you, like if you watch it, it was like, made at a certain time, it means right. it's automatically going to be problematic or something like that. Right. I but if you're yeah. like, you're watching it within the context, like Katie's saying, with that lens of that time mm -hmm. frame, then I but think even, you can enjoy anything potentially. But, you know? Right. But even then, I don't think that just because something was made before the fifties means it's going to inherently be racist or inherently right. be misogynistic. And there are some people that have that thought process that because it's an older film, it's, it's gotta have something like that in it. And that mm. is not the case at all. Like, and just because something has, misogyny in it doesn't mean it's inherently a bad thing because sometimes you have to build a story with the things that might not be savory like you know what i mean yeah it's well, I think... like just because it has that in it doesn't mean because you still get things now that broach racism or homophobia or misogyny and it's building off of that just because it's an older film doesn't mean it's going to be problematic. Which I think is also a, a lot of people think of uh, older comedies and they're thinking of like safe kind of stuff like Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House or something like that and forget just how risque the older movies could be. Right at the beginning of the production code, mm -hmm. they could get away with a lot more stuff that you wouldn't. You're just like, what the hell? What were they doing? This is fantastic. When Myrna Loy gives the, when he asks her, what, what were you doing in 1905? And she says, I was just a gleam in my father's eye. You couldn't do that joke in 1950. <laughs> no way you're getting away with that. Yes, Myrna Loy was also in Mr. Blanding's Built His Dream House. That's right. Which I adore. It's a fantastic movie, but it's not the same. No, but she was a, she was a great crusader for rights also. Um, Housing like rights she especially, would make, yeah. Make it vocally known, like, 
you know, why do why why do black actors always have to play servants in films? Right. Mm-hmm. She'd raise those types of questions, and the same thing with women in film. So even if this had that embedded in it, you know, she wouldn't have been attached to it. Right. If there were any problematic elements of that nature. So. It does make you wonder if it possibly at some point had it in it and maybe it was removed. I really don't consider this movie a comedy. Yeah, I almost don't either. No. Like it has comedic things in it, but that doesn't inherently make it a comedy. Right. I d- They're reacting to the situations mm-hmm. in a comedic fashion. Mm-hmm. But very much everything else is played straight and they're just within this this little situation this world and i think that's to me that's what the comedy is it's just their their yeah their reaction it's mostly between them right 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 no it's not not overtly comedic no Mm -mm. you could even watch this and not even laugh at all in it you know you could just watch it straight (laughs) through you know what i mean if you if you're not looking for it you know some people don't pick up on that kind of stuff particularly in the films of the 30s like i think that's lost on a lot of Mm -hmm. generations now where they just view it for what it is and they don't Mm -hmm. really pick up on oh that's supposed to be comedic well and then you also have the opposite of that where people watch things that were made back in the day that weren't meant to be funny and watch it now and think it's like Uh, the most hilarious thing in the world and it's like two words on that one that's why i madness well i just think it's suspiria not supposed to be funny um (laughs) When I saw Suspiria with Goblin doing the orchestrated bits, there was this one guy in the audience who was just like cackling the whole time. And it's like, this isn't a funny movie. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> There's no lines like, what's that man doing in my drawers and giving the spit take? You know, like, none of that. That I did like. <laughs> but it's like uh, the first Evil Dead wasn't supposed to be what it is now. Maybe more so with the second one but definitely not the first one. I just, that is why I watch things in the lens of when they were made. Because things are made at a different level, if that makes sense. So it's like some things could be seen as comedic because maybe they didn't have the effect stuff that we do now or the things like that. But what were you going to say? No, it was just a reverse on what you were saying about the evil dead is in late was it 1998 i went to like the midnight screening of lucio fulci's the beyond when grindhouse releasing and tarantino's rolling thunder they put it back in theaters and at any rate they had a great pre movie they had all these vintage trailers and they're all movies i love for whatever reason you know but they would show like massacre mafia style they would show detroit 9000 they would show oh. Cannibal Ferox, and they showed the Evil Dead trailer. And what happened was everybody laughed at every trailer, like nonstop. And I'm trying to enjoy, because it was 35 millimeter back then. It wasn't digital projection. And I'm like, this is fucking amazing. Like, I didn't count on this being part of the presentation. Mm-hmm. And they're laughing throughout. But once the Evil Dead trailer played, nobody laughed, which I thought was interesting. Wow. I was like, oh, okay. And then we went into the beyond and they started laughing. So I was like, ugh, whatever. This is part of the reason why I don't necessarily miss movie theaters. (laughs) Yeah, even with the pandemic, there's always a dick in the audience. Like, like, really? 
Um, I saw Candyman. I saw that too. 1992, Virginia Manson. Oh, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've gone from the Thin Man to the Candyman. Yeah. <laughs> well, if Candyman had met the Thin Man, the Thin Man might not be so thin because he'd be eating candy all the time. Mm. No? At first I was wondering how you were going to do that, completely just forgetting the fact that his name was Candyman, and yeah. I just thought of bees and honey, you're so like, I just pictured the thin man eating tons of honey. That's, that's you, you were giving me more credit than I deserved. You were like, this is going to be good, and then it ultimately was shit. Yes. No, no, no. <laughs> no, they, they could bond together over that uh, Jack Daniels honey whiskey. Huh? <laughs> Oh, yeah, because he does love drinking. There's a spinoff here. (laughs) You could have a CGI William Powell. That's how they bring the Thin Man back. The movie was made the year after the official end of Prohibition and several years after anybody was taking it seriously anyway. So, yeah, there was a staggering amount of drinking going on in this movie. I like the part where he's like, I don't want to work on this case because it's going to keep me from my drinking. And I'm just like, all right. Yeah, that's kind of an undercurrent. They don't... Uh, Doesn't carry through in the sequels? I mean, he's pretty much an alcoholic. They don't really... Oh, so is she. Like, yeah, they but both more are. So, I think he is more so because there's comments throughout the franchise where she's like, how many did you have? Martinis. And he's like, I had and like then, six. Six. And then she drinks five more on top of her one. Yeah. It's like she's competing with him just to do I it. I love but. their relationship. Like, I can't stress that enough. The whole time I'm watching it, I was like, relationship goals like these two are amazing it's it's a huge reason why the movie has endured all these years it's you say nick and nora charles to anybody they're gonna almost anybody would know exactly who you're talking about because of those Mm. characters i don't yeah well maybe not so much people especially my age if you say nick and nora they're gonna say infinite playlist (laughs) yeah that route because up until you Putting this season together, I had never heard of this movie. Because remember, I went, oh, because I thought of Thinner. Hmm. The, the Steve, that's what I thought of. Because I had the, never that's heard That's the Thinner Man. Yeah. The Thinner Man. <laughs> but yeah, I had no idea about this. Hell, I didn't even know until we recorded this right now that it was even a series. I thought it was just a one-off. You got more to uh-huh. watch. Powell and Lloyd did another movie... The hell was it? It was the same year as after the Thin Man. Oh, Libeled Lady. That's a Libeled Lady. I was thinking my man Godfrey, but she wasn't in that one. No, that was Carol Lombard. Which mm. she was married to Powell, I think, wasn't she? I don't know. I think previously they, yeah. I mean, all his stuff was consistently mm-hmm. worth watching. Like you know, going into like the fifties when he's doing like Mister Roberts, Mr. Roberts and stuff yeah. like that. And is that it, kids? Yes, I think I think with that it is time to end. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. I see you, you see me. Watch you blowing the lines when you're making a scene. Oh, girl, you've got to know what my head over. That's it. The show is over. Thank you for listening. The Smooth Thrills Radio Hour is a production of Ghostcraft and is recorded live in Dallas, Texas. Please email your questions and comments to autopilot at smooththrillsradiohour.com. Enjoy the rest of your day.
Texas Vina Ghost Craft Presentation.